Hello and welcome. You're listening to Song Stories, Quiet Stories, Episode 19, Mary Lee Bland. I'm your host, Carolyn Mercet. Brigham Young and the first group of Mormon pioneers arrived into the Salt Lake Valley of the American West on July 24, 1847, where the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints settled after being forced from Nauvoo, Illinois, and other locations in the eastern United States. Before I continue with Mary Lee's story, I will first explain. Following the Mexican War, which ended in 1848, Utah became an official territory of the United States in 1850, and in 1896 became the 45th state to join the Union. Pioneer Day is an official holiday in Utah commemorating the arrival of Brigham Young and that first group of Mormon pioneers. Celebrations include parades, rodeos, fireworks, dressing in pioneer clothing, or reenacting a trek. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and live outside of Utah, your local congregation probably observes the holiday too. My dad was raised in northern Utah, and his ancestors crossed the plains shortly after Brigham Young did with that first group of saints. There is a monument at the mouth of Emigration Canyon named in honor of Brigham Young's famous statement, This is the place, honoring the Mormon pioneers as well as the explorers and settlers of the American West. One of these explorers... Don Bernardo Miera y Pacheco is my fifth great-grandfather from my mom's Hispanic family and was the map maker for the Dominguez Escalante expedition in 1776. This multi-talented Renaissance man drew the first map of Utah and the American Southwest. My next podcast episode will be about him. Now, today you'll learn about Mary Lee Bland my well-loved great-great-great-grandma. She told her remarkable story to an unnamed granddaughter who later transcribed and typed it, thus making it easier to read, copy, and share. I first enjoyed reading it when I perused the stacks of family records and histories that I inherited a few decades ago. Listen to this story. Eighteen seventeen. I, Mary Lee Bland, was born to Sarah Caldwell Lee and John Bland Jr. in Kentucky. I was left to bear the responsibility of providing for and rearing my family. Too proud to ask assistance from my wealthy father by whom I had been disinherited because I had married a Mormon and had affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and disobeyed his mandate that I marry the man of his choice, son of his friend and neighbor whose plantation and estate joined ours. Our fathers had planned each to give a large parcel of adjoining land to Dale and me as a wedding gift. The engagement was to be announced when Dale came home from law school and I from boarding school. Dale and I broke up almost immediately after his arrival home because of 
ungentlemanly conduct. I tried to keep it from father as I felt he would not understand. Faithful old Mammy Chloe helped me to avoid Dale when he tried to see me again. Whenever he was seen coming, I would slip out quickly and go for a ride on old Betsy. One day, no one was around to saddle her, so I did it myself. The cinch was not tight enough, and while riding in the woods, some distance from home, the saddle turned, throwing me to the ground, injuring my back and my ankle. As I lay there, feeling unable to rise, a young man came along, bound my ankle, and took me home. This young man introduced himself as William Fletcher Ewell, a medical student on vacation for the summer. During this vacation, he was doing missionary work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known as the Mormons. He was heartily welcomed and invited to make our home his own as long as he desired. This new religion was listened to and agreed with at first. Then, one day Father went to town and came back a changed man, demanding an audience with the doctor. He had found in the community that the teachings of Joseph Smith and the Mormons were very unpopular. They had let Father know that if he continued to entertain and encourage this young missionary, that he would be an outcast. This was more than Father could bear, as his standing in the community was all important to him. At first, Father tried to get William to give up teaching or believe in this religion, and when that was to no avail, Father commanded him in no uncertain terms to leave, and when I pleaded both for the new religion and for William, I was ordered to my room and forbidden to see him or leave the room until I changed my mind, and he locked the door. I felt my heart would break, for I loved William and had a firm faith in the teaching which he had given us. I threatened to run away, but Mammy Chloe said that would break my poor, ill mother's heart. A week went by. Then came a message from William by faithful Mammy Chloe. He wanted to know if I would be willing to go with him as his wife and be with the saints. My mind was made up. I knew the gospel was true and was worth my sacrifice. Money and social position meant nothing to me in comparison to a life of usefulness with the one I loved. Mother was in sympathy and offered to help so that we could be together. For she loved William as a son and wanted to see me marry for love rather than social position and to please parents as she had done. It was decided that we would meet the next night before moonrise where William had found me the first day in the woods. Father, in the meantime, had offered me a trip to Paris, hoping that would make me see things his way. I was not interested. Mama sent a purse full of money and a box of jewelry to me by Mammy Chloe as she was not permitted to come to me. Mammy also informed me that she had been given to me and that she would not think of letting me go without her to help me. I made my escape 
through the second-story window down the rose trellis. Sammy had two horses ready and waiting, one for Mammy Chloe and one for me. I left with a goodbye letter to Mama and Zachary, my brother, who was in sympathy with me. We met at the appointed place and rode all night in order to get far enough away that Father would not follow. The next day, we found a minister in a small town in Missouri and were married with Mammy Chloe as my witness. I was not yet 18 and William just 22. William entered medical school and that fall my brother wrote that Mother was still ill. Her pleadings to Father to accept us on a visit were in vain, as were her pleading for the new religion which she believed was true. The following year, our first son was born while we were in Missouri with the doctor's family during vacation. Mammy Chloe cared for him as she had cared for me. In due time, another son came, and two years later, a daughter, whom we named Sarah Elizabeth for dear Mama, who still had not been permitted to see us. The family doctor finally told Papa that if he desired to keep his wife, he had best let her see the daughter and grandchildren she had pined for so long in her weak condition. Papa consented, and we were sent for. We went promptly. Even Papa seemed happy to see us and love the children. Our visit seemed to give new life to Mama. Our happiness was complete until one day Papa said, Dr. Ewell, I want to have a talk with you. You seem to have made Mary Lee very happy, and well, I can't forgive you for taking her away as you did. I'll give you the strips of land we had planned to give Mary Lee, and I'll build a house as becomes our rank, and you can practice medicine right here. You have made Mary Lee's mother happy, and the doctor says my wife hasn't long to live. But of course, you will have to give up that abominable religion of yours for any social prestige among our kind. William thanked him for his kind offer, but said, we cannot repudiate the truth of the gospel. We were asked to leave, and I was disinherited. William had finished school that year. Mother soon passed away, and my brother wrote that my portrait was thrown into the attic and my name taken from the family record in the Bible. My jewels went one at a time in those hard times that followed. Another little girl, Barbara Ann, was born while we were living at winter quarters. Then came the call for volunteers to go to Mexico. Dr. Ewell was among those who marched away on the longest military march in history, about 2,000 miles. Three months after his goodbye, our son William was born. Although there was never a shot fired by the battalion in the conquest, they fought with the wild bulls which gathered first in curiosity and finally attacked and gored to death several males, some hitched to wagons and some pack mules. I relate a story told by William. The troops were ordered to march with their guns unloaded, but in the presence of such danger, the men had loaded their guns without waiting for orders to do so. The officers were riding, 
Then men were walking, of course, and one ferocious beast charged and was only about 18 feet from me. I was ordered to load my gun to try to save my life. I stood a second, knowing my gun was already loaded. The officer ordered me to run, but instead, I lifted my gun for a son of Virginia, nor a soldier of the Mormon battalion would run from danger. I took aim at the curl between the eyes of the oncoming beast, pulled the trigger, and he dropped dead at my feet. There was much suffering from lack of water and necessities, poor food and hardships, and by the time the battalion had reached San Diego Mission on the Pacific Coast, where the encampment was made and the famous march was completed, I had become ill but could not give up. I knew I must get home to my family. But I to clean up and doctor our sore feet, for some had marched shoeless and feet were wrapped in rags. We had a year's growth of beard and tangled hair cut to the tips of our ears. We also got some rest, which I needed. The company I was enlisted was detailed and the following month to Los Angeles as a protection against hostile Indians, where a fort was erected on a hill commanding a view of the city and vicinity. The conquest of California from Mexico was easily achieved. Fremont, with 60 Americans, defeated General Castro June 1846, took possession of Los Angeles in the name of the United States. Then Major Kearney, disregarding Fremont's accomplishment on January 8, 1847, made a compromise of $15 million and California became U.S. territory. The Mormon battalion arrived too late to participate in the conquest, but in time to be assigned the task of hauling the longest pole from San Bernardino Hills that had ever been erected for a Liberty Pole in which I proudly participated in and unfurling our stars and stripes for the first time, 4th of July, 1847 celebration over Los Angeles in the name of the USA. Mary Lee continues her story. During this time with the help of Mammy Chloe, we were going all we could to get to the mountain in the west, taking care of the little ones and praying for the safety of our loved ones. The year's period of enlistment was up, and inducements to the battalion for re-enlistment were made by General Kearney because of their achievement. He said to Sergeant Taylor, Napoleon Bonaparte crossed the Alps, but these men have crossed a continent. A few re-enlisted, but most of them were anxious to get back home to their families. A messenger arrived from Salt Lake with letters telling of the arrival of Brother Brigham Young and others who on July 25th had hoisted the flag of the United States on Ensign Peak, which was then Mexican territory. Brother Young had advised members of the battalion to remain in California for employment for the winter to earn sufficient means to bring their families west in the spring. 
William's health had not improved, so he desired to get to his family, who we thought was in Utah. On arriving in the Salt Lake Valley with many others, he found that his family was not there. He at once left for winter quarters with his brother, joined the returning men at Pueblo, and arrived home at last. How happy we were to be reunited and he to see his year-old son for the first time. His health seemed to approve some, but he was home and we were happy. Then privations in that terrible winter of 1847 to 48 caused a relapse. And after a promise exacted from me that I would take the family and go with the saints to Zion, he passed from this life in my arms, leaving me grief-stricken and facing maternity again with Mammy Chloe, my only attendant. Little Mary Jane was born four months after her father's death. We then set about to keep our pledge that we would go to Salt Lake, the Zion of the mountains, and oh, how I missed him. Always so faithful to the church and kind and true. I could have gone back to Luck Tree at home by repudiating our faith, but was not tempted even in the face of poverty. So in about two years, my faithful Mammy Chloe helped me bring my family to Salt Lake. We located in Cottonwood, and Mammy Chloe taught me to spin and weave materials for our clothes, carpets for the floor, how to card the wool, to make quilts, and she taught me how to weave straw hats like the darkies made in the South. I managed to create a little fancy style and Mammy Chloe sold them to the stores and others. Thus we made our living until my sons were old enough to earn and make a home for us. Poor old Mammy Chloe loved the gospel. I taught her to read and she often remarked, I'd be willing, honey, to be skinned alive if I could just get into that temple. Even after the slaves were freed by President Lincoln, she did not desire her freedom. No one ever knew her grief leaving her own boy, Sammy. But being slaves, they learned never to complain at separations. I am sure I can never know what her great devotion to Miss Mary Lee, as she always called me, cost her, and how she softened all my hardships wherever she could. I never made an effort to recover my rights to my father's estate. However, I feel compensated by living in the shadow of God's temple. I am a descendant of Henry Lee, signer of the Declaration of Independence, and second cousin of General Robert E. Lee, of which I am proud. My mother was Sarah C. Lee. I love my country and never hear the star-spangled banner without a feeling of gratitude and exaltation. I will never go back home now, but I hope that some of my posterity will go down south and rescue that portrait of little Mary Lee Bland.
Years after my third great-grandma Mary Lee told her story, a well-written 40-page history was found, which revealed many more details than what I had in my three-page account. These are a few of the new details. Mary Lee had blue eyes and brown hair. Mammy Chloe was wet nurse for Mary Lee at the same time as her own son, Sammy. William Fletcher Ewell practiced medicine among those who had no money. Mary's life-size portrait was in a gold frame and was saved from destruction by her brother, Zachary. Have you started writing details about your life? Are you making progress? What questions do you wish you'd asked a family member or friend before they passed on? Family historians have encountered roadblocks in verifying Mary Lee's famous relative claims. It's no doubt she was patriotic, though. How do you show others your patriotism? Come back next time, and I'll tell you about a family member from my Hispanic mom's family who ventured across the American Southwest from Santa Fe and back in 1776, while the 13 original colonies on our eastern coast were declaring their independence from Britain. Until then, subscribe to this podcast on your smartphone podcast app or at iTunes or Google Play. Please leave a five-star review and a comment. Visit my website, mycarolynmerset.com, if you aren't there already. Have a look at my events page and my digital store. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing. I'm your host, Carolyn Merset.